Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. As we start the new year, 2019, we as elders thought it would be a good idea to just address, uh, we do, do this a lot, maybe once in a while, but just address the area of financial faithfulness, stewardship, giving, tithing, all those types of things. And anytime a pastor stands up and talks about giving, there's a palpable, oh no, not another sermon on tithing or giving. There's, there's a noticeable discomfort when a pastor does that, because oftentimes it goes from preaching to meddling. He's not preaching anymore. He's meddling in our finances. But what I want to do this morning is I just want to remind us as a church that we are a church that wants to be faithful to the Bible. And so one of our main priorities as a church is to preach and teach what the Bible says as our highest authority, and then to adjust our lives around the authority of the Bible. If you look at Jesus' words, just in the Gospels alone, one-third or 33% of what Jesus taught is about finances, is about money, is about resources, is about investments. And so sometimes as a church... We need to address these things. Now, as a church, we address a lot of things. We talk about prayer. We talk about evangelism. We talk about the Great Commission, as Pastor Andrew preached last week. We talk about marriage. We talk about parenting. We talk about using your spiritual gifts. Uh, We talk about all these different things that the Bible talks about, and we're okay with that because it's what the Bible teaches. But when it comes to finances, sometimes we just want to tune out. I don't really want to hear what the Bible has to say. But what we want to do is we want to be a church that's committed to God's truth and obey it in all areas of our lives. We can't just pick and choose which parts of the Bible we want to focus on. So we don't talk about this a lot as a church, but we thought as the first Sunday of 2019, it would be a good opportunity just to remind ourselves as a church of what the Bible says about this topic. And it has a lot to say, but we're just going to spend time primarily in two passages of Scripture. So if you've got your Bible open, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Proverbs 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Now, the word honor there is an interesting word in the original language. It it means to give weight. It's the Hebrew word kavod. It means to, to give honor. It's also used in the rest of the Old Testament as to glorify. So you can almost translate it, glorify God in how you spend, use, invest your money. Do you honor the Lord with your wealth? Do you give him the first fruits of what he has blessed you with? But I want to show you contextually 
Where Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, that verse is in a larger discussion. And so go back up to verse 5. We're very familiar with verses 5 and 6. It may have been some of those passages of Scripture that you had memorized even as a, as a little child. I know I did. This was one of the first passages of Scripture that I really learned to memorize as a, as a young person. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. When we talk about honoring the Lord with our wealth, it's a heart issue. It's a trust issue. Now, I could be very legalistic up here, and I can give you a bunch of commands from the Scripture about you need to tithe, you need to give. As a matter of fact, we could bar the doors and have the offering plate go through three or four times to make sure that everybody gave. And don't worry, we're not going to do that. We're not going to be legalistic up here and, and, and try to guilt you into giving. But I want to say that when you honor the Lord with your wealth and you trust the Lord with all your heart and you acknowledge him in all your ways, it's a heart issue. And one thing I as a pastor cannot do is I cannot change your heart. Only the Holy Spirit can do the work of changing a heart. What I can do is I can expose you to what God's word says about the issue, but ultimately God has to change the heart. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm just going to expose you to what the Word says, and I'm going to pray that the Lord will soften your heart, the Lord will move in your heart, the Holy Spirit will do a work in your heart to help you fulfill this command in Scripture to honor the Lord in every area of your life. So the question is not so much, what does the Bible have to say about money? The real question for today is, what's, what's the situation going on in my heart? Where's my heart? Is my heart soft to what the Word of God says? Am I willing to obey the Lord in all areas of my life? Am I willing to obey what the Bible says with joy, with gratitude? You know, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19-21, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's a direct correlation between your finances and your heart. So what I want us to do this morning briefly is just to explore three truths, three teachings that the Bible clearly tells us about money, finances, giving, all of these things. I want to I give a little bit of clarification this morning because sometimes I think there's some confusion. We as pastors and we as elders and, and leaders in the church just sometimes assume that you as a congregation kind of know why we do what we do as a church, why we take up an offering, uh, why, why we have a budget. And so what I want to do is just talk about this morning uh, what the Bible says about this. And so here's truth number one. Truth number one. God already owns everything. God already owns everything. Psalm 24, 1 through 2. The earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. 
the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. God owns everything. God's the creator. God is the ruler. God owns everything. Haggai 2 8. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. You see, one of the great myths in our culture today is that we actually own stuff. Now, you own things. And God has given you money, and God has given you talents, and God has given you a job, and and God has given you resources, and God has given you the ability to accumulate things. But that all comes from God who owns everything in the first place. Your ability to even go to your job tomorrow, or to make money, or to earn money, or to do anything is because God gave you that ability, and God already owns it. So we have to start with the fundamental truth that God already owns everything that you have. What you have is not your own. God owns it. God's given you the gifts. God's given you the talents. God's given you the resources. God's given you the ability. God gave you your job. God gave you your brain. God gave you your hands and feet. God gave you everything that you need to be able to to survive and to make money and to be a productive person in society. Matthew 6, 24 Jesus says, no one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You, you cannot serve one or the other. Your heart's always going to be divided. So truth number one, God already owns everything. Here's truth number two. The Bible prescribes consistent, proportional giving. The Bible prescribes, the Bible tells us, the Bible teaches us to to give consistently and proportionately. So I want you to turn to the Italian prophet. He's the last prophet in the the Old Testament. His name's Malachi. Actually, his name's Malachi. The last book in the Old Testament, Malachi. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12, is some of the clearest teaching in the Old Testament about this issue of where your heart is, where your treasure is. Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. Hopefully you're there. Let's pick up in verse 6 of Malachi chapter 3. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you've turned aside. From my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, How shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down on you a blessing until there is no more need. Verse 8, God says, you're robbing me, nation of Israel. You're, you're robbing me. Now, God is being exaggerating here. He's kind of metaphorically speaking because you really can't rob God because he owns everything. But God's bringing Israel to the courtroom and saying, you're robbing me. You're withholding from me. 
I've given you everything as the sovereign Lord. I, the Lord, do not change. I am your sovereign. And what's their objection? We haven't been robbing you, God. What are you talking about, God? That's a, that's a heavy charge to lay against us, God, to say that we've been robbing you. And God says, yes, you've been robbing me. You've been robbing me in your tithes and contributions. You're not tithing. You're not contributing. Now, let's talk about the tithe for a moment because this can be somewhat confusing. It's not a word that we use a lot in our culture, the tithe. It's only something you hear probably in churches. 10%, the tithe. What, what was the tithe? Well, in the Old Testament, a tithe was actually forced taxation on the nation of Israel to fund the temple system with all the priests and sacrifices and festivals to basically fund the theocracy of Israel. You had to have it funded. And so if you go back and read your Old Testament, there were three tithes a year. Okay? The first tithe was a 10% on everything. Your livestock, your crops, this was to fund the Levitical priesthood. You go back to Leviticus 27, you find out about that. Okay? There was another tithe. The second tithe, this is in Deuteronomy chapter 14, the second tithe was to fund the national festivals, the holy days, to fund all of those day of atonement, the feast of booths, and all of those types of things. And then every third year, there was a 10% poor tax on Israel, which was basically their welfare system, to help the poor in the land. You go back to the book of Ruth, and you can kind of see the gleaning there, Deuteronomy chapter 14. And top of that, there was the temple tax, just to keep the temple running. So if you wanted to live in the Old Testament time, in the nation of Israel, you were mandated by God's law not to give 10%, but when you added all those up, it was about 25%. Of your income. And it was forced taxation. You had to do it as a member of the nation of Israel. And on top of that, God also talked about in the Old Testament free will offerings, which you just gave out of the kindness of your heart that were on top of that 25%. Now, what do we do about the tithe today? We are not the nation of Israel. We don't have a temple, we don't have a tax system, we don't have a theocracy, we don't have all the accoutrements and trappings that were a part of the Old Testament system. So what, about, what are we supposed to do? Are you supposed to tithe today? Could you be guilty of robbing God today of a tithe? So let's just look at the New Testament and look at a few observations from the New Testament because obviously there's a difference between the Old Testament and New Testament and how this all works. One observation from the New Testament is that Jesus never does abolish the tithe. In Luke chapter 11, verse 42, Jesus says, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb, and you neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Now, Jesus doesn't, nowhere do you hear Jesus say in the New Testament, You've heard it said, give 10%. But I say to you, give X amount. Jesus just doesn't really talk about it. He doesn't negate it. He doesn't negate the tithe. He doesn't talk about a percentage. When you get to the New Testament, there's not so much a percentage. 
as it was under the Old Testament system of the tithe. So Jesus doesn't necessarily abolish the tithe, but he doesn't really talk about a percentage. Now, Paul argues for what we would call proportional giving. Proportional or percentage giving. 1 Corinthians 16.2 On the first day of the week, of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. What Paul is arguing for is proportional giving, meaning this. You give in proportion to what you make. Not necessarily a fixed percentage, but if you make more, the percentage and the proportion goes up. If you make less, the percentage, the proportion of what you give goes down, but it's proportional to how much you make. So the New Testament's not so much a percentage. But let me just say this out of pastoral wisdom. I don't want to be legalistic about this, but I would say that if the Old Testament was the Old Covenant and the New Testament is based upon Christ's work on the cross and, and the coming of the Holy Spirit, you would think just because of the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there would be a greater, a greater authority and, and a greater joy in giving at least 10%, even though it's not mandated, but 10% is a bare minimum. Now, let's just talk about church history for a moment. The early church in the second century, there was a manual called the Didache. That just means teaching in Greek. The Didache was an early church manual. It's, it's the best church manual we have on how the early church fact practiced. And the early church from about the second century, actually in there, it talks about the tithe. It talks about 10%. So even from its early beginnings, Christians practiced a, a 10% or a, a tithe. Now, I want to ask you a question. What percentage, based upon recent studies, of Americans actually practice tithing? Anybody want to guess the percentage? It's 4%. 4% of American Christians, according to studies, practice tithing. Now, I don't want to be legalistic about this and mandate a percentage. But I would just say a good rule of thumb, and based upon church history, and based upon proportional giving and all these things, 10% would be a good place to at least start. Now, let's go back to Malachi for a moment. Malachi is basically bringing the entire nation into question here. Verse 9, you're cursed with the curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation. You're robbing God, the whole nation. And what does he say there? You're cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and say, you're under a curse if you're not tithing. Okay, I'm not going to say that. But let me just say this. I have seen the issue over and over again in my pastoral ministry that those who are disobedient in consistent proportional giving often have other sin issues in their life that just kind of compound. There's a direct correlation between obedience to financial giving and prospering in other areas of your life. Now, I am not a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel preacher. You know that. I don't preach name it, claim it, grab it, blab it, whatever you want to say. 
But I will say this. There is a principle of Scripture, and I've seen this principle happen in my own life personally, that when you are faithful in systematic, consistent, proportional giving, the Lord will bless you. Now, that may not be financially. It may be spiritually. But here's the issue. When you give to the Lord through the church, you are giving back to God what is already His. It's already His anyway. So you're giving it back to him, and he's just asking for a small percentage. Now, what's the issue here? The issue for the Israelites was they were turning away from God. Look at what he says there. Verse 7, from the days of your fathers, you've turned aside from my statutes. You've not kept them. So what's the answer? He says, return to me, and I will return to you. It's interesting here. He doesn't say, return to giving. Return to financial stewardship. Return to tithing. He says, return to to me. It's more of a heart issue. It's more of a worship issue. Return to me. But then in verse 10, God gets very specific. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. And then he says, put me to the test. Bring the full tithe. Well, it could have been that they weren't practicing... um, the full tie, they were just kind of given what they wanted to here and there. So, truth number two is that the Bible teaches consistent proportional giving. Do we want to be legalistic and say it's 10%? Do we want to be under the Old Testament and say it's 25%? I feel real uncomfortable up here standing and telling you a percentage. But what I would say is that a bare minimum for the Christian, I think, would at least be to start at 10%. Now, here's the third truth. You should find great joy in faithful giving. You should find joy in it. Acts 11, 29-30. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. They gave according to their ability. That's all I'm asking. That's all the Bible asks you is to give according to your ability. Some of you will have the ability to give more. Some of you will have the ability to give less. It's not so much the amount that you give. It's the proportion that God has blessed you with. Now, 2 Corinthians 9, 6-7 gives some of the clearest teaching in the New Testament on giving. And again, there's no percentage there. It's more about the heart. So 2 Corinthians 9, 6-7. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Just a few things. Number one, giving is an individual choice from the heart. So you've got to make that choice. No one can make it for you. Number two, giving, you can't be reluctant. I really don't want to give. I'm reluctant to give. It can't be under compulsion. We can't make you give. We can't force you to give. We can't guilt you into giving because God loves a cheerful giver. I will just say this from personal experience. Early in our marriage, Don and I got into some major debt. We did not practice consistent tithing. We were American consumers that went into major debt. And we had problems. And it caused some major issues. And until we started 
practicing faithful, consistent, proportional tithing, giving, things got a lot better. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not up here being a health, wealth, and prosperity guy. I'm just saying for us personally, when we started being obedient in giving, things got a lot better in our lives. Now, does God need your money? No. I get very uncomfortable when people say God needs anything. God doesn't need anything. But God's means of accomplishing ministry and missions in reaching the lost is through the local church, and ministry costs money. Now, in the Old Testament, they needed money to keep the temple operating, to keep the priests paid, to keep the temple going, to do all the things that the nation of Israel needed to have happen. That's why they had that whole system. Now, in the New Testament, we don't have that. We are the temple. We are the priesthood. We are the people of God. And God has called us to fulfill mission. We as a church have a specific mission. It is to make disciples of all the nations. It is to do ministries. It is to do missions. It is to reach the lost. It is to be about what the church is called to be about. And that practically costs money. So let me just be very practical here. Explain how this church operates. Number one, we are an independent, autonomous church. Which means this, we receive no outside funding from any other entity. It's not like there's a Baptist diocese somewhere in Nashville that sends us money. Everything that we need to accomplish ministry comes from all of us regularly contributing. We set our own budget. We're autonomous. And number two, we do have an operating budget. Just like you as a family have an operating budget. Last year, for 2018... We ended about $8,700 below budget. We did not come in at what we thought we would come in. Our giving was a little bit behind last year. Back in January, you as a church family voted on our 2019 budget, which is $365,835 is what you as a church family voted on. So at this time in the service... I'm going to give up a portion of my preaching time and ask Mickey Dubs, one of our elders, who is very good at finances and kind of helped put the budget together. He's going to come and just share briefly how the money, come on, Mickey, how the money is being utilized, where it goes, how it functions. And so I want you just to draw your attention to Mickey as he shares with us this morning. Cannot believe you'd give up your pulpit. You're an halfway elder. through a sermon. Back in December, the church did approve a budget of about $365,000. And I know many of you weren't there for that meeting. So what I want to do this morning is take a few minutes and let you know what the budget consists of. So what we're going to do... So we're going to take a hypothetical dollar that goes into the offering plate and tell you where that dollar gets spent. So up on the screen, you'll see a dollar bill cut into different sections. I'm going to start on the right with evangelism and outreach. About two cents of every dollar goes towards that. And that is for things like benevolence, either internally here at the church 
or externally at the community level. Also a big piece of that is the radio ministry that Sean does on a weekly basis. And correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's called Abounding Grace. And that plays on KPMX every week. So that's evangelism and outreach. There's other things as well. Uh, hospitality, you know, funerals, we have meals, just things where we do outreach to the community. We've also in the past done outreach through Sugar Beet Days. You know, we haven't done that for a year or two, but we've done that pretty consistently. In years past, we used to do hot chocolate for the Parade of Lights. So there's been community outreach things also that we do. The second part there is ministry, and that's eight cents of your dollar goes there. We have a lot of ministries here at the church. We have ministries from the youngest to the oldest. We've got children's ministry that meets Sunday mornings. They meet Wednesday evenings. In the summers, we do VBS. Also do Mini Mountain Adventure. We have a youth ministry, and they meet Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, Wednesday evenings. And Pastor Andrew was up here last week telling you about a mission trip the youth are going to be doing this summer. So Pastor Andrew and his team of volunteers do a lot of work and ministry work with the youth. There's also adult ministries that meet Sunday mornings, Monday mornings, Wednesday evenings, Thursday mornings, Saturday mornings. There are home groups that meet. So there's lots of adult ministry going on as well. So that's ministry. What I could have done and didn't do would be to allocate some of Pastor Sean's salary to that or Pastor Andrew's salary to that. I didn't know really how much to allocate, so I haven't. But in reality, a lot of their salaries probably should be allocated to ministry. Okay, the third part is missions, and that's 14 cents of your dollar goes towards that. And a big piece of that is the money that our church tithes. Sean mentioned that we're part of the Southern Baptist Convention. So what we do is we take 10% of what we bring in, and we forward that on to uh, the Colorado Baptist General Convention, who then forwards that on to the Southern Baptist Convention. That money is used for funding foreign missions through the International Mission Board. Also, your money goes to the North American Mission Board, which funds missionaries in North America. And part of your money also goes to just the state of Colorado, where we have local missionaries like the Bowmans in Fort Morgan or the Browns up in Ovid. Other missions work we do or give towards is cooperating ministry here in Sterling, which helps meet the needs of the community. There's also Crew, which is Sean and Shana Kramer, that do campus ministry throughout Colorado. There's the Mission Church, which is a, it's a church plant in Fort Morgan, and we provide some financial assistance to that. That's, again, Joe and Judy Bowman. And then I'm probably going to get this wrong, but I think it's called the Lighthouse. And Colleen Dow sitting over there runs that, and some of the men that go through that program are actually here this morning, I think. So that's a very good ministry that, that we help support. Okay, let's go to building an office. And you can see there's quite a bit of money that goes towards maintaining this church. Obviously, we have to heat it. We've got to cool it. We've got to uh, insure it. We've also got to 
pay for repairs. I mean, we've got a fairly new church that doesn't need a lot of repairs, but things come up from time to time, whether it's plumbing or heating or, or lights or whatever. So I guess I would just point out this on the building. You know, we use this church a lot. You might not realize that, but we meet Sunday mornings. We meet Sunday night. We meet Monday mornings. We meet Wednesday. The homeschool cooperative meets here, I think, on Wednesdays. Thursday, there's a women's study. There's things going on here on a lot of Saturdays. There's weddings. There's funerals. There's anniversaries celebrated here. There's birthdays celebrated here. There's graduations celebrated here. This church gets a lot of use. So it takes quite a bit to upkeep that. Okay, the last piece, which is the largest piece, is personnel. It does take money to fund the missions and ministries that go on here. And we've got two full-time paid pastors. We're very blessed in that. We've got Pastor Sean and Pastor Andrew that are able to devote their whole attention to church ministry. We've also got two part-time ministry assistants in Trina and Sherry. So we're very blessed to have some personnel. So that is your dollar at work in ministry at Emmanuel. I'm going to close with this. And Sean read Proverbs 3.9. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. He didn't read verse 10, which says, Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. Most of us don't have barns. Most of us don't have vats. But I think you understand what's being said here. And like Sean, I don't adhered to a prosperity gospel. I could give God everything, and God would owe me nothing. But I also know that God loves a cheerful and faithful giver. And my prayer for us as a church this year is that we would give faithfully and cheerfully and live under God's honor and blessing this year. Thank you, Mickey. Appreciate the graphic there and the work that you guys did. Just a, just a few minutes left here. Um, I will just say this as your pastor. I don't know what people give. Honest, honestly, I can stand for you. I don't know what people give. I don't know what you give. All I see is the number. I don't see who, who gives it. But I can tell you this. As your pastor, our family gives tithes. Our family gives above the tithe. Our family gives to the building program. Our building gives to missions. Our, our family gives to missions. So we give Financially, I would not stand before you and ask you to be faithful if we ourselves were not faithful. I know that our elders as well are faithful in doing that. Just want to give you just a couple of practical things here real quick. Um, some of you that are under 40, you don't know what a checkbook is. But you know what a debit card is. You know what an online bank account is. So sometimes when you come to church, the offering plate passage like, I have no cash. I don't know what a checkbook is. I don't write those things out anymore. You can sign up for what's called Simple Give. Uh, we do have an online giving platform through our church. You can go to Simple Give, um, which is basically a way that you can set up online giving. You can do it through your debit card. You don't ever have to write a check. Um, you can get to that through our website. So our website is ebconline.org. Just go to the Donate tab there, and then you can go 
get on to that and sign up for that. And you can, it's, it's a very cool way to go uh, to do that if you, if you don't like actually writing out checks and passing the plate. If you like writing out checks, keep doing that. We just want to give you all different ways that you can make sure uh, to be faithful in this. And, and I know it's risky to begin to give systematically. Um, I know a lot of you, um, the, the first thing that pops in your mind, I, I can't do that. If I begin to financially be faithful in giving, it's going to be tight. It's going to be a risk. I don't know if I'm going to have ends meet. And let me just say, I know where you've been. I've been there myself. But notice what God says here. He says, test me. Put me to the test. I don't know of any other passage of Scripture where God says to test him. As a matter of fact, you're not supposed to put God to the test, except for in this one area. And so what I would ask us to do is just to pray that God would move in your heart, that you would give faithfully, proportionally, as an act of worship, as we think about starting 2019. Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Christ's sacrifice on the cross is our motivation to give. I don't give because it's a duty. And I don't give out of guilt or I don't give out of fear. I don't, I don't give because I have to give. I give because Christ gave to me. And last time I checked, Jesus didn't just tithe his blood. He didn't just give 10% of his life. He gave it all. And because Christ gave it all to us on the cross, and he owns it all anyway, the least we can do as an act of worship is to give back to him just a small portion of the greatness that he's given to us. When you look at Jesus, he's the indescribable gift. And when you look at what Jesus did, it should warm your heart to be obedient to what the Bible says. So let me ask you to bow your heads and pray. We're going to prepare to take the Lord's Supper this morning. And let this be a challenge as we start 2019, just to pray about how you personally would take this message to heart. Father, we do come before you today. And Jesus, we're thankful that you gave all, that you paid it all, that... You were not spared, but that you were given up for us all. And Lord, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it is a reminder to us of your ultimate sacrifice. And so, Lord, would our hearts be soft this morning towards the cross. And as we look at your indescribable gift and what you gave, Jesus, would that be a motivation? Would that be a, a cause for us to give faithfully back to you? Lord, soften our hearts this morning. Help us to be the people you've called us to be in this area. And Lord, this is a very personal area, and I know it's kind of touchy at times, but Lord, uh, your Bible speaks very clearly about it, and, and we don't want to be unapologetic about where your word speaks. So Lord, help us to be faithful in what the Bible says. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.